the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Merry Christmas, and welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. We hope that God speaks to you today as we continue our study verse by verse, chapter by chapter through the Bible with Senior Pastor Will Ramirez. Today, as we journey through our special Christmas series, Pastor Will continues in the book of Hebrews, chapter 1, verse 1 through 3, with part 1A of a message entitled, The Wonder of Incarnation. Well, you can stay in Hebrews chapter 1, because that's where we're going to be this morning. And the first three verses of Hebrews chapter 1, they actually declare the same exact thing that John 3.16 and Romans 5.8 does. John 3.16, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, and whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Romans 5.8, but God commends, demonstrates, proves his love towards us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. They declare the same thing that those verses declare, that God loved us so much, he sent his son to die for us. What the writer of the Hebrews does is he gives us a bit more perspective, because he explains to us who the son is and what majesty he had. You see, Jesus is God from all eternity. Think about that. Since Jesus is God from all eternity, he lacked nothing in heaven. Nothing for all eternity. There was no greater height for him to achieve, nothing to add to himself. He was already there. But as we sing in the song, you know what a beautiful name it is, we sing that verse, he didn't want heaven without us. You have to indulge me for a moment here. Sometimes I see people get crazy about lyrics or whatever, and I don't understand why they said this or whatever, and they change lyrics and stuff, and sometimes it's warranted. But I am absolutely baffled that people change that lyric, he didn't want heaven without us, as if it somehow implies Jesus was lonely or incomplete without us. The song doesn't say that. The song is stating the awesomeness and the majesty of our Savior, and that while he didn't need to do anything to better his situation, he wanted to do something to better our situation. And isn't that what makes love so wonderful? You know, sometimes as I'm in bed or wake up in the morning, I look over and I see that my wife is still there. And I think, she picked me. She could have picked anyone, but she picked me. What makes love so wonderful is that someone wanted you and they could have picked anyone else. And here's the wonderful news, the good news, is that for God so loved the world, you never have to wonder if you were picked. He loves you. He wanted you. 
And that the Lord wanted us does not make him lesser. It just shows how glorious he is. When these Hebrew Christians were experiencing heavy persecution and were struggling with the idea of maybe leaving Jesus and going back to the old system of animal sacrifices, the writer is seeking to convince them to not do so by showing how much better Jesus is, how glorious Jesus not just is, but was and is and will be. So in understanding how awesome Jesus has always been, they would understand his awesome love in an even better way. That why would you go anywhere else when you have Jesus? And that's what I would like to share with you this Christmas season. The wonder of the incarnation. That the God of all majesty and all power decided to lay aside those privileges out of love for us. So Hebrews chapter 1. We'll be in verses 2 and 3. I'll start reading verse 1, but then we'll go into detail in verses 2 and 3. God who at sundry times and in diverse, various manners, so God in many ways and in many different times and many different ways, he spoke in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken unto us by his Son. God in the past, we studied as we were looking at why the rapture is important. We were looking at the idea that God speaks to different people, different ways, through different means, says different things to different people at different times. That's what verse 1 is talking about. But then verse 2 explains that God in these last days, he has spoken unto us, King James says, by his son. But if you notice the word kiz is not in the text because it's in italics. It's not there. So literally it means he has spoken unto us by a son. A son stands in contrast to the prophets. And the idea is that when you consider how awesome the prophets are, a son is way better, right? A son is way better. Jesus actually referenced this concept, and he talked about God the Father's heart behind this idea of he sent the prophets, but then he sent a son when he gave a parable in Matthew chapter 21 in verses 33 through 37. We'll be in Hebrews mostly today, but I'll be referencing a few other verses. But in this parable in Matthew 21, 33, Jesus says, hear another parable. There was a certain householder, landowner, which planted a vineyard, and he hedged it round about, digged a wine press in it, and then built a tower and loaned it out to husbandmen, farmers, tenders. And then he went into a far country. The idea is they're going to work the vineyard. They get to keep a portion of the profits, but the bulk of it goes to the, per- the owner. Verse 34, and when the time of the fruit drew near, he sent his servants to those husbandmen, the farmers, that they might receive the fruits of it. And the husbandman took his servants and beat one and killed another and stoned another. And he sent other servants again, more than the first, and they did unto them likewise. But last of all, he sent unto them his son, saying, They will reverence my son. This is Jesus in parable form speaking how God sent prophet after prophet after prophet after prophet, and they rejected him. And so God said, well, I will send a son. I'll send my son. Surely they will listen to him. Surely they will respect him. Christ's position as the son of God is the highest position possible. There's no way to improve upon that. It's not like, you know, well, I'm the son of God. How do I get better? There's no way to improve upon that. And we'll examine what that means in detail when we look at verse 3. But here we see that this is who Jesus is from all eternity. He wasn't non-existent at some point and then created as the Son of God. He, he didn't become the Son of God. 
He is the eternal second member of the triune Godhead. And this status is pointed out because the writer wants to share with us both Jesus' past and future role as the Son of God. He goes on to say, whom he has appointed heir of all things. We're back in Hebrews 1, verse 2. Whom he has appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the world. So one refers to his future, one refers to his past. Start with future first. He says, whom he has appointed the heir of all things. Now an heir is someone who inherits possessions. So how many possessions is Jesus going to inherit? All of them. (laughs) There can be no more definitive statement to Jesus' position over creation. All of it belongs to him. Everything belongs to him. Jesus is the head of the church. He's the king of Israel, and he's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And when he returns, he will rule with a rod of iron, and his rule will have no end. Now, that future role that Jesus will have, it makes perfect sense when we consider his past role as the Son of God. It says that by whom also he made the world. That world refers to the ages, the times where God made these covenants with different people at different times. Jesus was involved in every time period of man and in every covenant God made with man from creation all the way down to the church. What's the importance of that? Well, as the Son of God, Jesus is both the initiation and the culmination of God's goodwill toward man. God's heart has always been toward us. And Jesus is from the beginning to the end of all of that. This is exactly what the angels announced when Christ was born. Look at Luke 2, that beautiful, famous Christmas passage that we so often study during this time of year. Luke 2, verses 8 through 14. In Luke 2, verses 8 through 14, it says, And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night, and lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Don't be afraid. That's not why we're here. Don't be afraid. Fear not. For behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. I have great news for you, wonderful news. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord a Savior, but it's God Himself, Christ the Lord. You know, it's interesting. We talk about Christmas. We think of peace on earth, goodwill toward men, and so often that phrase is used, you know, in the idea of us. This is a time where it's goodwill toward man, like this concept that you get to be grouchy and nasty to each other for 11 months, but for four weeks and we just be nice, as if that's what the angel's saying. I watch you shepherds for 11 months, and all you do is bicker and fight. You know, you don't like it when the sheep get mixed and all this kind of stuff. And now, kid, for four weeks, you just be nice. As if that's what the angel's announcing here. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. That's the great news, the glad tidings of great joy for everyone. And there shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And then suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest. Why? Because of the babe in the manger. And on earth, peace and goodwill toward men. Why? Because of the babe in the manger. We can know that God 
desires peace with us and that his will towards us is good. That's what it means. And so what the angels are declaring is that Jesus, he is both the initiation and the culmination of God's good will towards man, that his will towards us has always been good. He's always wanted peace with us. He's always wanted a relationship with us. He's always wanted to make things right. And Jesus is the beginning and the end of that. Now, if the prospect of a benevolent dictatorship run by a sovereign creator makes you nervous, it's only because you don't understand his nature, which is what the writer of Hebrews goes on to talk about in verse 3. Who, he says in verse 3, who, being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power. He starts off with this first aspect of Christ's nature by explaining to us that we don't have to worry about that because he's the most qualified person to reign. He's the most qualified person to rule. He is the brightness of his glory, referring to the Father's glory. That's interesting. The word brightness there can refer to both reflected brightness or a source of brightness. And what's interesting about that is because Jesus is both. He does reflect the Father's brightness, the Father's glory, but he has his own glory that shines exactly as the Father's. When he was on the earth, he told the Father right before he was about to die in John 17, glorify me with the glory I had before when I was with you. So he has his own glory because he's fully God. Jesus is not just a really good guy. He's not just a highly qualified individual for the job. He is God Almighty. He is the express image of his, again, his father's person. The word person means substance, nature, essence, real being. He is, the express image means an exact representation of his father's substance, nature, essence, real being. He, he's not just someone who has a little bit of God or is kind of God or is like God alike. He is fully God in every way. That's why Jesus said to Philip, he said, Philip, have you been so long with me in John 14, 9, that you don't realize that having seen me, you've seen the Father? John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. It's always been that way. He has all the attributes that the Father has, and he upholds all things by the Word of his power. He sustains and maintains everything simply by the word of his power. Jesus is eternal, all-powerful, and all-knowing. He has zero limitations. Is there anyone else who can make that claim? <laughs> and that makes Jesus the most qualified person to be a king of kings. He is the only one who has the resources necessary to do the job correctly. Now, that, of course, doesn't prove God's goodwill towards man. It just means he would do the best job possible. One can do something right without concern for who it affects, but that's where the incarnation comes in. Because the other part of Christ's nature is that he became a man. This almighty God who is the express, the exact representation of his Father, who upholds all things, sustains all things by the word of his power. It says that when he had by himself purged our sins, he sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. Jesus, out of his great love for us, out of his goodwill towards us, 
stepped into our world and purged our sins by himself. He didn't use an intermediary. He didn't use a lesser symbol. You know, he himself cleansed, washed, purged our sins. In Hebrews 9, verse 12, it tells us, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. He purged our sins. The word sins there means to act contrary to the will and law of God, to miss the mark of whatever God's standard may be. God clearly lays out his standard in his word, and, and we have missed that mark. All the ways that we've missed that mark, whether it's in attitude, it's in action, it's in motive, any way we miss that mark, Jesus cleansed us from those things. Now, Romans chapter 6, 23 tells us that the wages of sin is what? It's death, separation from God for all eternity. Sin cannot be ignored. God would not be the just king of kings if he ignored sin. In Psalm 89, 14, it tells us that righteousness is the foundation of his throne. There is no throne without righteousness. There's no basis for his kingdom if there's no righteousness, if he's not righteous. But you know what? I think those of us who know, you know, many of you probably have heard that, that verse but the verse has an ending that most of us, at least I didn't remember. Righteousness and judgment are the habitation of your throne, Psalm 89, 14 says, but then it says this. Mercy and truth shall go before your face. And that word mercy is that Old Testament equivalent of agape has said his unwavering devotion, his loyal love, his unconditional commitment to us. Jesus had to punish sin, but his love demanded he take our place so we could be rescued. And so that's why I say Hebrews 1 through, 1 through 3 echoes the words of John 3.16 and Romans 5.8. For God so loved the world, he purged our sins. But God demonstrated his love towards us, and that while we're yet sinners, he purged our sins. It's saying the same exact thing. And the only way that could happen is if God the Son, the God the Son, the majestic Son of God, the all-powerful one who is living in perfection and is perfect himself, who shines his own perfect glory, the only way that could happen is if God the Son became the Son of Man. Exactly as Isaiah 9 predicted, as we sang, for unto us a child is born. Unto us, a son is given. God who has spoken through the prophets, now in these last days he has spoken to us through a son. Unto us a child is born, a man. Unto us a son is given, the son of God. He is both, his nature, God and man, the incarnation, the wonder. And because this is in the writer's mind, he wrote Hebrews in the very beginning, we find the Christmas story in an unlikely place. Not a gospel, not a personal account of someone who experienced the birth of Christ, but in a doctrinal letter. <laughs> Turn to Hebrews 10 with me. Now, the book of Hebrews chapter 10 tells the Christmas story in a little bit different way than you and I are used to hearing. 
You know, we are used to hearing it from the shepherd's perspective, from Mary's perspective, from Joseph's perspective, from the wise men's perspective, from the shepherd's perspective, even in a sense, maybe from the angel's perspective. But here we see it from Jesus's perspective. In verses one and two, it explains the problem. It's just for the law having a shadow of good things to come. And not the very image, the very substance. We know the difference between a shadow and it's the actual thing. You know, it's night and day. For the law having a shadow of good things to come and not the very substance of the things. That law can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually. They could never make the comers thereunto perfect. Hold that word in mind. It's going to become important later. Perfect. Those sacrifices could never make those who brought them perfect. For if they could, verse 2, then would they not have ceased to be offered? I mean, if it finished the job, then they could have stopped bringing them, right? But of course they didn't. Because that the worshipers once purged should have no more conscience of sins. That's why they would have had to, they could have stopped. They would have no more conscience of sins. But instead... Through the law, these sacrifices, in those sacrifices, there is a reminder, a remembrance again, made of sins every year. It might have been glorious in the Day of Atonement to see that goat wander off into the wilderness and to say, God's forgiven us, praise the Lord. But you'd have to do it again next year and still hope that that goat would go wandering off into the wilderness. And every year it'd be the same. Every time you messed up and you had to come bring an offering to the tabernacle or to the temple, it was a reminder that it wasn't done. And the reason why is verse 4, for it's not possible that the blood of bulls and of goats should take away sins. Wherefore, which is why, which is why when he comes into the world, when Jesus came into the world, this is what he said. And it's a quote from the Psalms. Sacrifice and offering you would not, you did not want, you didn't desire, but a body thou hast prepared me. Jesus, as he is about to come into the world to be born as a babe, he turned to the Father and he said, you weren't looking for all these sacrifices. That's not what you want. You didn't want these religious rituals. They served a purpose, but that's not what we were looking for. What you're looking for was this, me taking on this body that you've prepared for me. And then said I, I'm good with that. Lo, I come in the volume of the book, it's written about me. This has been prophesied. It's been predicted. You've been pointing forward to it. Lo, I come. In the volume of the book, it's written of me. I come to do thy will, O God. I will be the perfect man. I will die for their sins. I will be the perfect sacrifice. Jesus, what he had in mind here was his love for us. Now, verse 8 explains, above or before when he had said, sacrifice and offering and burnt offering and offerings for sin, you don't want that. Neither had pleasure therein, which are offered by the law. The, he was, he's explaining, those were the things that you're thinking about going back to. Well, then said he, after the reference to that, that God doesn't want that, lo, I come to do thy will, O God. He explains, Jesus is making clear that he's going to take away the first, the, the law, that he may establish the second, not, I'm sorry, not the law, the old covenant, and that he might establish the second, the new covenant. By the which will, that will of Jesus, the will of God, that we would be rescued by God becoming a man. By that will, we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. 
And every priest, he stands daily ministering and offering uh, oftentimes the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But this man, Jesus, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, he sat down on the right hand of God. From henceforth, from that moment, after he finished the work of the cross, from that moment, expecting, looking forward to the time when his enemies would be made his footstool. Why? Because for one offering, by one offering, he has perfected forever them that are sanctified. Whereabout, whereof the Holy Ghost also is a witness to us, for after that he had said before, this is the covenant that I will make with them. After those days, says the Lord, I will put my law into their hearts, and in their minds will I write them, and their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. Jesus' heart was to come that he might do these things for us. Three things that are listed here. If you've repented of your sins and trusted the Son of God for your salvation, verses 14 through 17 are a description of who you are because of his incarnation, because of his love for you. And what has his love done for us? Three things, as I said. Verse 14 is the first one. For by one offering he has perfected forever them that are sanctified. What does it mean to be perfected forever? Well, first off, it explains this is a blessing for those who are sanctified. The ones, literally means the ones presently being made holy. That's you and me. When we placed our trust in Christ, immediately we were justified. We were totally cleared of guilt and we were made righteous. And then began the process of being made more like the Lord, sanctification. That's us. This has been In the Word with Pastor Will Ramirez, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app, available on iTunes and Google Play. If you have any spiritual or physical needs, please contact us. We would love to pray for you and assist you in any way we can. You can reach us at 407-523-0800 during our office hours. Tuesday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time as we continue to learn, walk, and live in the Word. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.